everyone, and welcome back to the Faculty of Horror, podcasting from the horrid halls of academia. I'm Alex West with... Andrea Subasati. And happy 2017, everyone. We made it. We did it. I'm so happy. Ooh, I'm so happy 2016's over. Yeah, and years feel arbitrary. They really do, I think, the older you get. But 2016 was just such a shit show in so many ways that it feels nice to kind of close the door and just move on. Well, every year has its highs and lows. And, you know, as it gets to the end of the year, you kind of review your year. And for me, 2016 is the year that the news reduced me to tears. The fact that it happened once is kind of, whoa, what the fuck? But it happened twice in 2016. And that's, man, I don't have tears to spend on that. I've got tears for PMS and like the season finale of The Office and whatnot. I just, I don't want to spend it on my news. So here we are to kind of look back fondly on a year that I won't remember very fondly. And like we said in our last episode, this is going to be a bit different for us. This is the first time we're doing it in this format. Now, we put it to you guys over our Twitter and Facebook channels. What would you guys like in January? Would you like a kind of year in review type show or would you like a kind of regularly scheduled episode? And to my great shock, a lot of people really wanted this year in review type thing. So here we are to do it. And for anyone who wasn't super keen on it, don't worry. We're going to have some fun in this episode. And then we will be back to our regularly scheduled programming for the rest of the year. So we've got three distinct sections in this episode. We're going to kick off with our favorite films of the past year, what we liked and what we really liked. And then we're going to come back with a set of FAQs or frequently asked questions. These are the questions I get a lot, either kind of via DM or via email. And again, I try to answer as much as I can, but these are ones that I felt like I was answering a lot. And I'm happy to because some of these questions are really important. But we thought it'd be nice to kind of open up the discussion a little bit, kind of put them on record a bit more, and hopefully keep the conversation going. And then in our final segment, what are we going to do in our final segment, Andrea? Well, in our final segment, we're going to have a little bit of fun. And this was an idea that was sparked by a YouTube video I saw where somebody sat down two members of the Julie Ruin. They sat down Kathleen Hanna and one of her bandmates and they played the newlywed game. If Kathy could have dinner with one feminist icon, living or dead, who would this person be? I'm almost 100% sure it would be Gertrude Stein. <gasps> it would be. Oh, no. <laughs> you lied, too. I said Yoko Ono. Oh. I was having also a brain good. freeze. It's a game to show how much you know each other, but what I really got out of that video was how much they loved and respected one another, and even if they didn't get the questions right, they had such a great admiration for one another, and it warmed my heart, so I thought it would be really fun for us to do something like that in this episode. And if it's good enough for the Julie Ruin, it's good enough for us. Indeed. And I'd also just like to take a quick second to give Alex some props for the great work that she does doing our social media and answering all of you guys. Back in the beginning of the podcast, we agreed that I would oversee all of the technical aspects of the podcast, all of the editing and uploading and stuff like that. And she would do the social media and the answering of emails. And in the beginning of the show... 
I got the bum end of the deal <laughs> because I was just learning how to podcast. I had to learn everything from scratch. It was such a new and emergent media. There weren't nearly as many tutorials and resources online as there are now. So I spent many, many, many hours on it. And now it's quite the opposite. I've got the hang of editing it for the most part. Uploads come pretty easy. And Alex is just flooded with listener emails and stuff. So I think she's handling it beautifully. So let's kick it off. Do you want to begin? Do you want to begin with like, what was your favorite of the year? Okay. I want everyone to sit down right now. If if you're walking somewhere, just sit on the side of the road. If you're driving, stop your car. If you're on public transit, I don't know, get off because this is going to be really shocking. Whoa. Andrea, yeah. you braced? Yeah. Ghostbusters. Now, I'm sure all of you, or if not most of you, heard our surprise Ghostbusters episode that we did over the summer. And that was the day after Andrea and I saw it opening weekend. And subsequently, I saw it four more times in theaters. And then as soon as I could, I bought it on DVD. And now whenever I feel sad or confused or angry or just, I don't know, bleh, I watch it or I watch part of it and it cheers me up immensely. It is not a perfect movie. It has some really wonky editing, but I can overlook a lot of that because it means so much to me and it executes so much that I didn't know I wanted in a way that feels incredibly relevant to me. And again, I think like we talked about back on that episode, it was um, almost shocking how relevant and refreshing it was in so many ways. And Yeah. And I think uh, due to a lot of the feedback you guys gave us on that episode, I think it meant a lot to a lot of people out there, too. So if you saw it once, I highly recommend seeing it again. It's really fun. It's really lovely. And it makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. It's nice. I don't go back to it for the mood boost that Alex does. But you know what I go back to is that friggin' image, that image that I used for the cover. I don't know if you guys are subscribers. I don't know if you always see the cover image that that we create and post for the blog post. But we mentioned it in the episode how it's a picture of Kristen Wiig at opening night, I assume. And she's just surrounded by little girls who are just looking at her with stars in their eyes. And that image recurs to me when I feel overworked, when I feel stressed out, and when I ask myself, why do I work so hard? Like, why does this matter to me so much? And that picture is exactly why it matters. So I think that's a really lovely pick. It's it's not on my list. I didn't actually consider it because I was so horror focused. I am so and I I get I get that it's you can consider it not horror, but it just meant so much to me that I really wanted to hammer it home again. That I think it's a great film. I'm super happy it exists. And oh, I actually read an interesting box office thing that after the production budget, after the marketing and PR budget. It didn't do amazing overall, but it only fell $15 million short of that, which is not huge, especially considering that's before Blu-ray, DVD, streaming, iTunes, VOD, all of that kind of stuff, and merchandise, which, again, guys, I'm still still really fucking hard up for that merchandise. But I like to think all of those things being equal, Sony won't have lost that much money on it. I'm not going to hold my breath for a sequel, but I'm not going to not stop thinking about it. (laughs) 
Fair enough. A lot of you listeners were really lovely about Alex's search for merch. We got a lot of links. We got a lot of, oh, I found this and I feel the same way. And that was really nice. That was a nice little bonus episode for us to do for our own hearts and souls. And you guys responded to it so beautifully. So thank you for that. All right. What was your favorite? Well, the top of my list, and I feel like this is a bit of a cheat because technically I did see it in 2015. But looking back, I still feel like The Witch was the biggest mic drop in horror of the last several years, much less the last year when it finally got a theatrical release and people were talking about it. And the discussions were interesting. It reached some people more than it reached others. Obviously, it suffered from hype syndrome, however you want to call that, as people were like, oh, this movie is such a big deal. And then people watched it and were like, fuck, man, I'm bored and I can't understand what they're saying. And that is all so, so valid. I had the really rare experience of getting to see it completely blind and it still rocks my socks to this day. Yeah, that's one that's on my list as well. And I got to see it in theaters this year. And I rewatched it over the holidays because it's on Canadian Netflix right now. And I really like it. I think it's a movie that I've said to people, if you don't like it, I kind of understand why you don't like it. It just reached me and it felt weird. And I liked the weird pacing of it and the strange tone and all of the different elements that kind of feed into it. Um, And as a lot of people kind of requested, I think this will be something that we talk about more in depth in the future. For sure. And I think it was also just such a unique horror film. I think that, you know, in 2016, there was a lot of, oh, my God, if I see another remake, I'm going to fucking lose it. So to have something so dramatically different enter into our lexicon of the past several years was really refreshing. And I think this is kind of the reemergence of the witch as a creature in horror. Still so relevant. And uh, I remember when we did our first witches episode back in like 2013 or 2014, and we were like, oh, we want to talk about witches, but witches aren't super prominent in horror films, like not really, really not in the way that vampires are, werewolves or zombies. And now we're kind of starting to see that turn around in a small way. So maybe hold your breath for a witches part three episode down the line eventually someday. Yeah, let us know. So now I'm going to go in kind of no particular order for the rest of our films, I think. But uh, the next film I just wrote down was 10 Cloverfield Lane. Yep. High on my list as well. Yeah, I saw it in theaters. I revisited it recently because, again, it's on a Canadian Netflix. And it totally shocked me. It was really entertaining And that's something I don't know if you always get in horror films. I loved the different tones in it. I loved that there were really bright, funny, familial moments. And there were really tense, icky, problematic moments. And I mean problematic in that the film presents us with situations which could potentially be problematic. And I think it navigated them in a really intelligent way. And I think what shocked me most about it is I I love a good found footage horror film, but I hated the original. I really, really disliked it. I just, not for anything more than I thought the main characters running around were just assholes. Like, they just seem so self-indulged and just like, you have to go save a girl and she lives in a penthouse. And I was like, oh my god, you and your goddamn problems. Like, if you love this girl so much, she would have hoofed it out of Manhattan as fast as she could if she is half the woman you think she is. Burn. 
Anyway, for a long time, I called it Suckfield instead of Cloverfield. Really? Yeah. See, I hadn't seen the original Cloverfield. I saw 10 Cloverfield Lane, and I saw it with a couple of friends who aren't horror fanatics. They're okay with horror, but they like movies, and they actually look to me to what's good. And I'm like, well, I only know horror movies. So this year, I went with them to see 10 Cloverfield Lane, and I also wound up seeing Green Room with them as well. And I love going to movies with them to kind of get their feedback from a non-horror puritanical standpoint. Anyway, 10 Cloverfield Lane was so incredibly, again, really unique, and it kind of flew in under the radar because it was catching the tail end of Star Wars mania. And it wasn't announced as a Cloverfield film until I think a a couple weeks, maybe a month before? Well, that's the other thing is I went back to the original Cloverfield because I had just started up my YouTube channel and I really wanted to talk about the Cloverfield phenomenon and not even just as a franchise because obviously the films don't have – directly a whole lot to do with one another, but they had really interesting marketing campaigns that I found so compelling that I made a video about it. And so that's still up on my channel if you want to check that out. But good choice. That one's on my list too. Nice. All right. What's up next for you? Next for me, and this one might come as a surprise to you guys. Again, I almost feel like it's a bit of a cheat. A lot of you probably haven't seen it, but it's Safe Neighborhood. Now, this is a movie that was in the film festival circuit a little bit. I had the opportunity to see it because Cinemacabre screened it for the December Cinemacabre, and it's a Christmas horror movie. And so I don't expect it'll get a proper theatrical release, even though it's probably ready now in distribution terms. It probably won't get a theatrical release until next November at the earliest. But if it does, you guys, oh my God, this film, again, I went in totally blind and it had so many twists and turns and it was so, so interesting. I don't want to say too much about it because this film is going to be spoiler mania when it comes out. It's going to be the film that people are like, it's so good, but I can't talk about it until you see it because it's so good. So please just take my word for it. I won't say too much more, but that's how much I liked it. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I was tired that night, so I didn't go. Your loss. Apparently. The next film I have on my list is Train to Busan. And this was something I've seen very recently. It just came on iTunes for rental, so I rented it one night. Mm-hmm. I'm not the biggest zombie fan. I'm a little over the whole, like, zombies are monsters, but the real monsters are people. Mm-hmm. Like, I read Andrea's book. I get it. But I think what Train to Busan does so differently and why it's getting so much hype, and I think deservedly so, is the characters aren't necessarily super well drawn, but I liked them Mm. and I understood them. And there was a lot of different viewpoints in there. And it's a really interesting take on the zombie subgenre. It's a really entertaining film. And I do want to mention that I was actually a bit shocked when I started because it's just over two hours long. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, a zombie train movie that's not like 80 minutes. I might as well kill myself. But one of the things I appreciated the most about it was its pacing. It really develops a story. And it's not like the characters aren't learning anything. They're constantly learning. They're constantly adapting. They're constantly fighting new battles. So I thought the progression of the film was one of the more satisfying that I've seen in a really long time. And so I assume it's kind of on iTunes or VOD everywhere now. And if you're curious, highly recommend it. Really enjoyed it. Definitely got a little emotional at some points. Wow. God, I really need to see it. You know, we haven't done a zombie episode of this podcast. You're fucking telling me. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I was waiting for the right train to come along. 
Wow. <laughs> yeah, we still have to fucking do a zombie episode. Yeah, we will. Okay. What's next? So the next one on my list is Neon Demon. And again, I think this is one where people are really, really divided. It's just like Alex was saying, where if people don't like it, I totally get it. Once again, I had the opportunity to see it in a cinema, which I think was pivotal to my enjoyment of it because there are several moments where it just slows right down. And if it wasn't socially unacceptable, I might have looked at my phone and gotten distracted and it would have taken me out of the film and it would have changed my experience. However, the reason this movie really blew me away is because I'm not a Jello guy. I am not the kind of person who likes art films that don't have a whole lot of story and don't have a whole lot of substance. Those usually just go right through me. But Neon Demon hit me in so many feels. Even when nothing was going on, it was able to evoke that in me. And I felt like I got it. I understood why people like Giallo. And even if you don't like Giallo, even if you didn't like the Neon Demon, I think we all have that movie that we like more than we should. Yeah, I really hated it. You hated it, I eh? hated it. Damn. And we've gotten some questions online or suggestions about doing it. And I feel like, Andrea, if you really wanted to do it, I would figure out a way to rewatch it and talk about it. But I would really struggle. I watched it at home with my roommate. We dimmed all the lights. We're very lucky that we have a nice big TV. And I didn't have my phone with me. I left it up in my bedroom. And I was just watching it. And I was just like, cool. Like, I I knew you had liked it because I think you'd just seen it. And I knew it got some really interesting reviews. And I was like, all right, let's give this a shot. And I was just like, oh, God, this is really boring. And then about 10 minutes in, my roommate, who I was watching it with, leaned over to me. And he was like, psst, Alex. Do you think the fashion industry is shallow? Fucking Chris. (laughs) Oh, that's really funny, Chris. It was actually very funny. That's why I can't watch movies with Chris. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I'd ever want to do it on a Faculty of Horror episode. Because like I said, you know, like there's just there's not that much to talk about it. Either you felt it or you didn't. And this isn't an episode to talk about feelings. And I remember kind of plodding through when we did a witches episode and we talked about Inferno. Inferno. I felt the same way. I was just kind of like, this is meant to evoke color and I'm not feeling any color. And that's an interesting thing. And that actually occurred to me as well, because I remember rewatching Inferno for that and I got a lot out of it. Yeah. And again, it's one of those inexplicable things. I don't think anyone's wrong to like or dislike it. Just for me, don't get it. I don't get it. Well, check it out and see for yourself. Can I say? Yeah. All right, my next one on my list. This was a movie that legitimately scared me, really scared me, to the point where it gave me nightmares. Wow. And I haven't had that in a really long time. Like, I'm thinking a few years. I think the last time it happened was probably The Woman in Black. And I don't think The Woman in Black is a great movie. It just scared me. And the film that I'm talking about is The Autopsy of Jane Doe. It scared you. Really fucking scared me. Real, like, it got me. What scared you about it? It's kind of a bingo of all the things that creep me out, mm. like a, a contained environment, a creepy woman, just interpersonal relationships that are kind of falling apart. You don't know if you can trust someone or not. It was really well done for me. Yeah. And I've seen some things online where people complained about the jump scares, but the jump scares, 
they didn't get me, but they added to the atmosphere. I really loved the atmosphere. I loved how like dark and dingy it was. And I loved the mythology that the film created. Mm-hmm. And you've seen it, right? Yeah, yeah, I have. And I, I really did like it. It didn't make my list because I tried to keep it to five, even though we, we're not doing a top five. We're not ranking these in any particular order. But it, it didn't make my top five. However, I've got to say that in spite of the jump scares, for me, I'm usually against jump scares because jump scares are usually symptomatic of a very rote horror movie of a very formulaic James Wan-y horror movie that I can't stand. However, the autopsy of Jane Doe, the jump scares just served to exacerbate the crazy tension. I cannot believe how often I was like, oh, I got this film. I know what's happening. And I was wrong. It subverted my expectations again and again and again. It's excellent. And it's one of those films where it totally cemented for me how much I love Brian Cox. He is one of those guys who's been in Hollywood forever. He's played so many different parts. He's popped up in everything from Manhunter to Rushmore. And I've liked him in all of his films. And this one watching, I was like, I I really like him. She really likes Cox. I really like Cox. (laughs) So that one came in kind of toward the end of the year. So if you haven't checked it out, we won't give too many spoilers. But again, like we said, it does kind of redefine a really interesting mythology and the chances are good it'll be in an episode. I hope so. So watch it. Watch it. It'll be, you're doing your homework really early. Okay, I've got one more on my list, and this one I had seen on other people's lists, and so I decided to check it out, and in checking it out, I was like, oh, Karen Kusama. Nice to see her again. If you'll remember way back to our Jennifer's Body episode, way back in the infancy of this podcast, Jennifer's Body blew us away because it was marketed as a piece of shit teen horror movie, and it turned out to be a highly feminist, very inventive, very cerebral film that we loved. So I was already on board when I saw the credits rolling. But this film is The Invitation and it is on Netflix for Canada. I think it's around everywhere because it got a Netflix release. Okay, well, that's good. That's great because fuck, I loved this film. Now, as a sociologist, I've always been really interested in groups and how people behave in groups and how people ascribe meaning to things, acting together in groups. And so without giving too much away, this film was – it's a really slow burn. Again, I could totally understand people who complain that maybe it's boring, maybe it didn't get to the point too late, but it also deals in – a lot of emotion, there's a lot of backstory, there's a lot of grief and friendships, and all of that is so incredibly genuine in this film. I really loved it. That was actually the next movie on my list. Yeah. Uh, That was another one. It came out on Netflix around the same time as the Mike Flanagan movie Hush on Netflix. And I watched them both almost back to back, I think. And The Invitation totally captured me. One of the things I dread most as an adult is going to a dinner party. And the dinner parties are weird. Like, they're weird at the best of times. And it's one of those things I feel like people do to, like, be an adult and I'm going to serve you dinner and you have to have this cocktail and hang out with me. And I'm like, oh, God. And I watched Hush and I saw Hush on a lot of people's best of horror this past year. And it didn't get me. And I've gone back to think about the invitation a lot more than I would have thought. And yeah, I'd, I'd maybe that's another one we should do down the line. But Ooh, um, I'm down. I, again, a slow burn. I love a good slow burn. Me too. As long as you build it, as long as you add in new elements that kind of change the dynamics and they can be big or they can be subtle, but evolve the story and give it space, I'm 
on board. Well, yeah, and I thought it tackled some human dynamics that I don't see tackled a lot in film. And again, without giving too much away, it's like going to a dinner party, people you haven't seen in a long time is awkward. But imagine it's your ex and it's all your ex's friends. And you get there and like you love these people. You were in a couple and as a couple, you hung out with these people and you got very close with them. But you haven't seen them for years because things get weird after a breakup and whatever else. Again, I'm just trying not to spoiler anything, but I'm just going to stop talking. Yeah. uh, Recommendation from both of us. Check it out. Any honorable mentions you want to throw in there? I have a few more that I put on my favorites because we didn't put a limit on this. Well, Well, I didn't. Okay. Um, I have a few more I want to mention quickly. The new Paul Verhoeven movie, Elle. And that's with Isabelle Hubert. And it's a French-Belgium co-production. And it's great. It's weird. It's wacky. Paul Verhoeven, I think, is a pretty brilliant director who has legitimate problematic elements in his films, particularly around elements of homophobia, rape, all of these things. And in a way, Elle is a much more subdued film than I would ever think Paul Verhoeven could do, but it has a lot of Verhoevian flair. Verhoevian. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's, that's a pretty strong recommendation from me. It's a very interesting film about a woman. And I think we might be talking about it maybe soon. I don't know. But it's, that was a big one for me. I saw that again recently in the last month and very, very impressed by it. Can't comment. I haven't seen it. You should fucking see it. I'll put it on my list. And then I also wanted to mention I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House. I didn't see that either. It's good. It's on Netflix. Cool. It's good. It's creepy. It's, again, it's a slow burn. It might be a bit slower than people would like, and I would get that. But it's a creepy ghost lady. Creepy ghost ladies freak me out. I liked it. I liked it a lot. And I think it has a lot of really strong elements to it. And I also wanted to mention, this isn't a horror film, but I think horror fans might have a vested interest in checking this one out, if you haven't already. And that is A Bigger Splash. And that's kind of like a mystery crime thriller by Luda Guadino. Bigger Splash is kind of a take on of a French film called The Swimming Pool. It's very much a Euro film, but it's starring like Tilda Swinton and Ray Fiennes and Dakota Johnson. It's really good. It's a kind of really weird, sexy crime mystery thriller. I highly recommend it, but I think it's particularly interesting for horror fans because this director is currently at work on the Suspiria remake. No, 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 no. I would have been all like, well, it's the Suspiria remake, but then I saw this movie. And this movie is awesome. This movie is creepy and weird. And Tilda Swinton is playing the director of the dance school in the Suspiria remake. And Dakota Johnson is playing Susie Banyan. And there, I like, I really like Dakota Johnson. I think she's really great. And she's great in this movie. Tilda Swinton is great in this movie. And it made me really excited for Suspiria. Wow. So if you have some love for Suspiria, if you care, if you just like really interesting movies, um, highly recommend that. And I'm really bummed because I feel like Ray Fine should – he's wonderful and it's a really different part for him. Cool. And then I just have some films that I want to see that were on the festival circuit and I haven't seen. And one of them I even had a ticket to. 
And I got sick and I couldn't go because I was playing at the Toronto International Film Festival, Midnight Madness, and that's Raw, Mm. which is the new French horror film. And I've gotten tweets. I've gotten emails. After my book came out, being like, how do you see Raw fitting in? And I was like, I would love to tell you, but I can't because I haven't seen it. Uh, Heard good things. Really want to see it. And I really, really want to see The Girl with All the Gifts. Oh, yeah. Well, that one's just coming out now, Yeah, Remorg did a great cover story on it. So, yeah. was definitely interested in it before, and now I really, really want to yeah, see it. I really want to see Raw, too. Also on my list of movies I'm dying to see, there's a movie called The Wailing. I believe it's Korean. Did you see that one? No, it's on Netflix. It is? It is. Oh, good. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. I don't browse enough on Netflix. I've heard it's cheated. long, and it's involved, and Great. that's kind of why I've put it off. Yeah. And I just I need to have a night where I'm a bit more focused, and Ooh. I can sit down and kind of get out of my head and watch it. I'd almost like to give an honorable mention slash shout out to some more Hollywood horror films that weren't awful. And that sounds really snotty and shitty, but fuck, you guys are horror fans. You know that Hollywood horror has been what it's been. And, you know, The Conjuring 2 came out last summer and people lost their fucking minds. And I don't understand. I still swear, Andrea, you and I saw a different movie. Uh, What do you mean? Like, because you and I saw The Conjuring together and we were both like, ugh. We saw a different movie from everyone from else. From everyone else oh, okay. is what I mean. Like, honestly, Patrick Wilson in his creepy painting room, it still makes me laugh just to think about it. Oh, my God. Playing the guitar and singing uh, Elvis. It's absolutely devastating. But people but loved it. People loved it. What I wanted to give shout outs to were uh, Lights Out mm. and Don't Breathe. Because those were both refreshing. I had kind of written them off before I even went to see them because they dripped of Hollywood and they dripped of textbook jump scare horror and they both impressed me. And it's nice to know that I can still be impressed by the big boys. I'm with you on Lights Out. One of the things that I liked most about Lights Out um, is the development of the boyfriend character. I thought he was lovely and goofy and a bit dumb, but he had a heart of gold and I loved – I just thought it was really impressive the way they built that character. Mm-hmm. And that was a really nice surprise in an otherwise totally fun, strange Hollywood movie. I totally agree. Don't Breathe, I was kind of like, eh. Like I saw it with a friend of mine. We got out and we were just like, eh. Mm-hmm. But I, again, I'm just glad that people go see horror movies and they get big releases. And that means we're going to keep getting more of them. Well, that's right. I'll keep going. Dracula from 1992. Now, the film opens in 1942, where Vlad Dracula fights the Turks. 1942? (laughs) God damn it. So glad you caught that. Shit horse. The film opens in 1842, where Vlad Dracula is fighting the Turks. It's like 16. Oh, is it? Uh, Won Academy Awards for costume design, makeup, and sound editing. 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 One of those will be good. <laughs> when you're editing. Editing. <laughs> There's something kind of so off-putting in it that pulls you out of it. And you're just like, fuck, why did you pull me out right before the climax? Oh, that sounds so dirty. Oh, amazing. That's a great outtake. That sounds so dirty. <laughs> I jotted down that Twixt was a terrible movie oh, that I tried to watch on Netflix, but Val Kilmer's doughy, doughy face. I couldn't finish it. It was so depressing. But... We are here to tit, but, <laughs> but we are here to tit, wow, today. Today, we are here today. <laughs> and I clocked it the first time, and then on my subsequent week, 
on my subsequent re bleh, my lisp. It's adorable. And if tr- and if tr- fuck off. Now the myth of Oedipus was the myth. Now so the myth. <laughs> That's right. And uh, it- synopsis time. Fuck yeah. Gonna summarize the motherfucking film, yeah. The, you know, they're quoting, you know, the quote, they're quote. Are you going to get into thematic shit now? Once you're done chewing. One more chip. They keep calling me the chips. They aim to preserve, they aim to preserve, fuck me. You can do this. Clip, trailer. Trailer, trailer, trailer pants. <clears throat> I love that I kind of get to talk to future Andrea. Yeah. I hope we're still friends when you're editing this. Mm, these chips are so good. This wine <laughs> so is delicious. Mm, this wine. I had such a hard week. This what are you so drinking bad. right now? Oh, water? Mm. Water from the tap? Water from the hose? <laughs> <laughs> you fucking broke bitch. <laughs> Future Andrea is such a sucker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she po. All right, synopsisize this shiznart. The crew of the Nostromo, a commercial space... Back on the Nostromo, Lieutenant... The emergence of the role of women. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's okay. I'm choking. I just love that I was talking about the emergence <coughs> of the role of films and you choked. I'm so sorry. That's right. And <clears throat> um, what was the last thing you said? Can I go into a little bit of Vietnam War? You betcha. Let me just finish chewing. Fuck, next time I'm getting a liter of wine. No. Yeah, okay, actually. <laughs> Oh, Dustin's calling me. Say hi, Dustin. Hello. Hi. No, I'm recording the podcast. Oh, shit. I'm still recording and everything. <laughs> I don't know when it was fucking made. It was made a fucking couple of years ago. Do you want me to look it up? I, I don't fucking care. I hate this movie so <laughs> goddamn much. No, let's say it was made in like 1900. Who gives a shit? I hate to ag- I don't hate to agree. Why do you no, hate to agree with me? I don't hate to agree with you. But I, I, I just hate to... I know. Do this to them. We're not piling on, guys. Well, we are. It's a fucking stupid movie. I'm dehydrating. I need to pour more wine. Um, oh, that's sticky. Okay. <laughs> you just hiding from the microphone. Chip shame me. <laughs> Come on, girls! Give Do you live love? Because I got something to say about it. And it goes something like this. So now we're going to jump into some of our FAQs. The questions we get asked a lot or that we noticed were getting brought up a lot over social media. So some of them we've kind of answered before. Again, I try to directly respond to a lot of these, but we thought, again, might be nice to have them out in the open like right now. So one of the first questions we always get asked a lot is something to the effect of, I'm really interested in exploring film slash horror academia. Can you recommend some books to start off with? And this actually came up when we did Andrea's Batcave episode, and we each brought up some books. And then I got home, and I was like, fuck, there are so many more books I could talk about. Yeah. So I think we're going to do that a bit now. 
Yeah. It's a tricky question to answer because I think it's a deeply personal thing. And I think when we did the Batcave episode, Alex and I were like, yeah, yeah, women and chainsaws. We were kind of just rattling off the basics. But for this episode, I wanted to maybe give some of my more personal account of what got me into film criticism because it was a bit of a weird fangled journey. I actually never took a course in proper film in university. I took sociology. And so what got me going in sociology was a fellow by the name of Raymond Williams. And he did some really interesting work in audience reception theory. He was really into giving a Marxist critique of culture and the arts. He was very left of center. He was a socialist. He speaks out against any distinction between high and low culture, which was tremendously useful to me as a horror fan because it's a genre that's often derided. And he was also very quick to defend when people spoke negatively about the masses or the other. And so I think he's a really great starting point if you're interested in our kind of really leftist leanings and what these texts have to contribute to a more revolutionary nature. And so to that effect, the books that really inspired me were 1958's Culture and Society, which was what really put him on the map. And it's very heavy. And I learned about cultural materialism, which is his specific approach to film in his book from 1977 called Marxism and Culture. And I had to use original sources in my thesis, but you don't have to. And there's a lot of really great books out there about Raymond Williams and his contribution to film and society. So maybe you want to find one of those books rather than going to the original sources. It might be more of an enlightening read. Another one I'd like to mention that I didn't bring up in the Batcave episode was kind of my foray into intersectional feminism. And this was the writer who really made me check my privilege, which is something that, again, I think not just feminists, I think everybody is slowly, it's always an ongoing learning process. And for me, it was the writings of Bell Hooks, and that was part of the sociology curriculum. And if you're not familiar, she's a very radical intersectional feminist who is very passionate about the representation of class and race as it appears in film. She wrote a book called Real to Real, Race, Sex, and Class at the Movies that came out in 1996. And she goes into depth about a lot of movies that I had seen, not necessarily horror, but she does go play-by-play -play, similar to how the Faculty of Horror does. She talks about Pulp Fiction, Leaving Las Vegas, etc. And she really pulls no punches. And it was a very challenging read for me to start out until I fully got it. And so I definitely recommend that one too. And some of the books I'd like to kind of recommend on that same note that challenged me, that made me think in a different way, was one that I used really extensively for my book. And it's a book called Fast Cars, Clean Bodies by Kristen Ross. And this is about France as a kind of post-colonial society, kind of France post-World War II, but more importantly, post-1960s when they were decolonizing all of their many, many colonies and what that does to a society and how it changes and how the French strove to forget, how they embraced modernity in a way to cleanse themselves of what had happened before them. But they were still kind of embracing their architecture. And that's why you have this beautification of France, which is this cultural mecca of love and light and lofty pursuits. But it has this really 
gross, dark underpinning that people are constantly trying to forget. And when I came across that text, it informed so much of what I understood about New French extremity. And so without Ross's text, my book probably wouldn't exist, at least not in the way that it does. Another book I want to recommend, which I'm using now for a new project, is a book called Generation Multiplex by Timothy Sherry. And it's an analysis of teens in cinema, particularly kind of 1980s onwards, with the invention of the multiplex and what happened in malls and what happened when you had all these options and when kids had disposable income and were getting out of the house and were beginning to make choices for themselves. And it kind of takes you from 1980s till, you know, early 2000s. And while I would say uh, Fast Cars, Clean Bodies is a more academic text, I find it really accessible. And Timothy Sherry's book, uh, Generation Multiplex, is an even more accessible book. It's really well written. It's really interesting, tons of great insight and a ton of history. And it's obviously very well researched. So we'll link to all of those in the show notes if you'd like to pursue that reading. It's not required reading, but you asked. And if you're a really big fan of particularly horror academia, here's some other ones we can throw at you. If you're really into horror and you want to get a bit more invested or in some way really want to sit down and read something, I'd really recommend the Stephen King book, Dance Macabre. And I don't agree with all of it, but I think it's a really interesting thought process. And the book that kind of started me on this whole journey is actually um, a collection of essays, and it's called Dread of Difference. Mm. And that includes excerpts from Men, Women, and Chainsaws. Mm. So it was a hugely formative book for me. Some of it is really academic. Again, not all of it do I agree with, but you can still read something, engage with it, and enjoy it and still have problems with it. Well, yeah, that's definitely a big part of the process is to read something and be like, I don't dig this, and then to uncover why and to kind of embrace those views as valid. And that's that's part of why the Faculty of Horror has been such a great learning experience for me, not only learning from Alex, not only learning from you guys, but just sorting out my own thoughts and where I situate myself within these arguments. So take these texts as a starting point, but definitely not as any kind of canonical anything. Another question we've been asked a lot in the last two months, yeah, like about two months, is how will horror films change under President-elect Donald Trump? Um, This is really hard. I can give you an answer. The answer will be I think we're actually going to get a bit more expressionistic. I think it's going to be a bit more like uh, when we got German expressionism out of Germany. Yeah. Um, but it's hard for me to talk about. It's hard for me to think about because I'm still really upset about it. And I, I want to pretend like it's not happening. Well, yeah. And it's, it's difficult to predict how that upsetness is going to manifest. Like, I don't think that living under a racist, sexist, homophobic, ignorant leader will necessarily lead to horror movies that deal directly with tales of racism, sexism, homophobia, ignorance. Like, I don't think horror really works that way. We do talk about it as reflective of anxieties of the times, but that's not to say that it's a perfectly accurate mirror. You know, it's a, it's a distortion. It's a representation. It's a perspective of the effervescent, unarticulatable stuff. And if you look back at maybe a president who could be kind of similar, possibly in some ways to Trump, uh, I think you'd have to go to Ronald Reagan. And that was the 80s. He was president from 80 to 88. And then you had this huge flourish of horror films, which were, I don't know 
as much ideological based as they were practically effects based. Mm-hmm. Um, you had the rise of slashers, and with that, you had the rise of the moral majority. So there is a shaming in promiscuous sex and drugs and a recreational teenagerhood, which was seen as problematic. And now we can kind of deconstruct them in a way that we all really enjoy them, and there's stuff to love about all of them. But we can see that. Holy shit, are those politics weird? Yeah, it's something that we're only really going to be able to look at and understand in retrospect. And we can make our predictions. But my hope is that in light of this election, my hope is that the white populations who are woke and who are horrified by all of this kind of take this opportunity to allow the voices that are less heard to maybe shine and rather than appropriate their fear into more conventional narratives to let something new and interesting emerge from it. And I think international horror is killing it right now. I think we're really interested in what different cultures have to say, particularly women, particularly non-binary areas. So that's my hope. That's what I'm going to be on the lookout for. So the next question comes from an episode we've already kind of brought up in this episode, which is our Jennifer's Body episode. And a lot of people really like that episode. We're really grateful for that. But we have gotten a lot of comments on our reading of The Kiss Between Needy and Jennifer. And The Kiss kind of happens, uh, let's say, towards the last third of the film. And it's, you know, you've got Needy, who is watching her beautiful, iconic friend become a demon, a succubus, and is destroying men around her to maintain her beauty. And then she and Needy share a kiss. And I'm doing this very, very surface level. Mm-hmm. And we, in our initial reading of it, and when we talked about it, it, we both felt, Andrea and I both felt that it was a bit too titillating in some ways. It felt like, I think, Andrea, you were using this term like a trailer moment, like something to incite a kind of like, ooh, this is going to be like sexy girls being sexy. Well, that's right. And that was a big part of why we wanted to do that episode is we felt like it was marketed improperly. And that kiss was very front and center in the trailer. So people were expecting a very titillating movie. And we've had a lot of people write in to us. I think this one has been a lot over email. And obviously, so this is very private, but a lot of um, young women or young men or trans people who felt that it was a moment for them where they understood something. Yeah. And it was like a light bulb going off and that they enjoyed the episode or had problems with the episode. But this moment, how – why would you guys just kind of denigrate this moment in the movie? Yeah. And this is the hard part of doing what we do. And I think this is maybe why we stayed away from the feminist label for a long time. Because when you say we're feminist, we want to be the most intersectional feminist we can. And that comes with a lot of responsibility. But we can only ever come from our own standpoints. And Andrea and I are both cis, white, heterosexual women. Yeah. And so that was our viewpoint. And... I always write back to those emails saying that I completely buy your reading of it. And if this meant something to you, I think that's incredible. And I know that sounds kind of silly and a bit lame, but I I don't really know what else to say. And if something reaches you, it reaches you. And we never, ever, ever want to make someone feel that their reading of something isn't valid. 
No, that's the exact opposite. Now, this was a very early episode for us, and I'm actually really glad that this debate emerged as early as it did because, you know, Alex and I were still very much finding our voices, finding our place within a feminist critique. Again, we kind of tap danced around the label because we didn't want the responsibility of, you know, who wants to be doing feminism wrong? Like, we don't want to be those guys at all. And so when we get called out for giving a specific reading, it really forces us to consider Consider other readings and we learn from them. And that is so incredibly valuable to us. But that said, we can't be something we're not. And being white feminists isn't a hat that we can just remove. And if you ever hear someone say that, oh, like I don't see gender and I don't see race and that they're colorblind, that kind of rhetoric, you should call them out on their bullshit because A, unless they were raised in a box, they're lying. <laughs> B, it means that they're being willfully ignorant of the power differentials within the genders, within the races, within the classes, and we don't ever want to be like that. We want to give our readings from our standpoint, and if you have a different standpoint, that is yours, that is valid, that is yours to own, and you should own it. And if you want to make a podcast and people write into you saying, I read this differently, and that is part of the dialogue and the discourse, and that is what is so meaningful about the faculty of horror to me and Alex, so definitely keep these critiques coming at us, but at the same time, acknowledge that this is essentially what it is we're trying to do is incite these critiques. It doesn't have to be confrontational. It doesn't have to be you're right and you're wrong. It's part of the argument. And to understand that Andrea and I recognize our privilege and every day we see more of our privilege. And so like Andrea was saying, don't stop these critiques from coming in because they help educate us. And every time we get one of those, we take that as a moment to educate ourselves more and widen our scope because it's important. We read as much as we can. We learn as much as we can, but we can never, you know, see every viewpoint. And every time you write into us, believe me, we consider it and we take it on board. We step back and we go, okay. But unfortunately, we can't go back and re-record an episode. And you know what? I wouldn't because they are snapshots of how we felt at the time and they're coming from a very real place. And I don't think you want our critiques influenced by anything else. I, I think that's what's special about what's going on here. Yeah. And so know that while we kind of run this faculty of horror, we take it as a big responsibility to keep learning and to push ourselves. So yeah, that's that's kind of where we land on this. And it illuminated that moment for me in the film in a myriad of different ways and in ways that I could not have seen unless we had done this podcast, unless we had said that thing. And again, I understand how privileged this fucking sounds right now. I totally get it. But coming from two white feminists, we really thank you. So the next frequently asked question we want to address is on a more recent episode. We did a two-part episode on aliens, and we had a take on Ripley's acceptance of motherhood in aliens that several people found problematic. And interestingly, I found a lot of the emails that we got about that came from men. Yeah, it it was, as far as I could tell, it was a very heavily male-based concern. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting, very interesting, and maybe a bit telling. And I think to, and again, I, I try to write this in, in every email we get to it because I don't want to say this reading is invalid, but maybe I can re-explain because I think motherhood is a very touchy subject, for lack of a better term. It's... um. Uh, something that, you know, 
we've all had a mom kind of sort of in, in various ways, some more than others, but motherhood is very important. You know, they are sometimes the only people that raise you and guide you through this world. And it's an incredibly important role in anyone's life, even if you don't have one, that absence is felt. So our critique of aliens in this iteration was essentially that Ripley is such an interesting character. She is so badass and strong and ambitious and assertive in the first film, and she makes all these choices. And it's so refreshing to see. And then in the second one, she's going in and she's saving them all again, and she's going to do it, and she doesn't give a fuck. And then... She has essentially a child in Newt, and then she's got this kind of pseudo-partner in Hicks, and she's got this nuclear family forming around her. And for me, I still really like Aliens. I really like that movie, but it just feels a little less ambitious as a story. And I think as a woman, I am always about stories that are not about a woman finding the love of her life and not about becoming a mother and not that those stories are invalid. I have seen them. I've seen a lot of them. I know I will see more of them. And that's fine. I'm sure I'll still enjoy a lot of them. But I want to see something different. I want to see independence. I want to see strength. I want to see weakness. I want to see confusion. You know, I I think that's partially why I responded to Ghostbusters so much, because it wasn't about love interests. It wasn't about a family. It was about women as professionals figuring this shit out and being friends. And that's, I think, what I've known so much in my life is that, you know, I've had relationships and they're not great, but my female friendships are so deeply important to me. And I want to see that reflected more because I feel like as women, we get reduced down to these roles of mother and wife or girlfriend and partner. And and we are so much more than that. Well, that's right. And to once again locate ourselves within this critique, I mean, I'm not going to speak for Alex, but speaking for myself, I'm a woman who thinks of myself as in possession of a set of organs that is capable of making babies, but it is my choice whether or not it will. And it's obviously very fundamental to feminism that that choice is protected both legally and in terms of the resources available to have that choice and make that choice and that those resources are readily available to everyone in spite of whatever financial situation you're in. And something I really tried to emphasize in that episode is that there is a difference between the biological mom and the nurturing mom. And it's really important for me to draw that distinction because I find it problematic when the two become conflated. The idea that women just desperately need to nurture something because they have a womb is something that I will challenge, both based on my own personal standpoint and also in my politics as a feminist. Now, in Aliens, as Alex just said, they introduced Newt to motivate Ripley. That's it. She's essentially a narrative device to motivate the hero. And that's not unimportant to the story. It's an important clue to learning about the hero. And I'll allow that maybe I'm extrapolating many examples into this because that is the classic lady motivator in horror movies that you see time and time again. If you want to invoke a woman to act with passion, you do one of two things. Like you make her angry. How do you make her angry? You either rape her or you threaten her child. And the common denominator in both those two motivators is her pussy. And that's a problem. So I don't know if we fully went in depth in that episode. I don't know if we went too far in depth in that episode. And maybe it wasn't, you know, 
reaching everybody the right way, but that's what I was trying to get out there. Yeah, and that's not to say anyone's, again, anyone's readings as Ripley, as a mother, you saw your own mother and that, that's not invalid. But understand that we see this a lot. We see this a lot. And as women who are film writers and film fans, we are attuned to these things. Again, it doesn't mean we don't enjoy them. It means I'm tired of them. I am so tired of them. And I think that's why I can never fully ever, nor do I want to, discount Alien 3, where you see Ripley kind of come back from all of that. And she has this other life beyond these characters who died. She has other motivations. And I thought it was so interesting that now that Neil Blomkamp has kind of come out and, and kind of had these redesigns for like, what if we just reboot Aliens after Aliens and Hicks and Newt are back? And what if we do that? And people were so excited. And again, I would see that movie. If it ever happens, I would totally go see that. I don't think it needs that because I think Ripley represents so much more through this really unique journey she's had. Again, imperfect films. Alien 3? Not great. Really interesting. Alien Resurrection, really not great, but interesting. I would rather see something that wasn't a beloved classic that at least gave me a viewpoint into something else and something I've seen a million times. I think motherhood is a really conventional narrative, and I think we can enjoy it. I think there will still be more stories told about it, and I think that's great. I would like to see different things for women. Well, yeah, and we did do an episode on motherhood where we looked at other films that explored it in other different ways. I just feel like, you know, aliens didn't tackle that particular subject in a way that I really loved. Yeah. So our last frequently asked question also comes from an episode that we did this year. And that was, again, this seemed to come from a lot of men. Again, we love men. You're all great. This is rad. But there were several of you who were really concerned about this topic. And that was the Chris Hemsworth character in Ghostbusters. He plays the character of Kevin, who is their secretary. And he's a dummy. Big, dumb, pretty dummy. And people were really concerned that we didn't address this apparent horrible oversight of, you know, in a movie full of strong women, why do the men have to be dumb? And, you know, the men in the movie are all kind of dumb. You know, you have... um Obviously, Chris Hemsworth, you've got the antagonist who's, you know, kind of a Gamergate nerd, mean dude. And even Andy Garcia is the mayor. And never compare me to the Jaws mayor. Never! I would just like to ask the people who feel that way about this, don't fucking at me on this, guys. But when you see a movie where a female character is portrayed as a fucking idiot, are you up in arms? Because I've seen that so much. And, I mean, you know, there are people like Marilyn Monroe made a career out of playing this kind of flighty airhead. And she was a fantastic actress. And she is an icon. And she had a tragic death. So she's kind of risen to this place in our culture. But she played silly, ditzy women really well. And I don't see a lot of outrage from men on that. So this is just an inverse. Chris Hemsworth character Kevin He's not the analog to Janine. Janine in the original series was obviously competent and saucy and had kind of a terrible arc in the second one. But she was herself. This is a different character. 
Yeah, this is kind of a it's a different ball game, and it's not something that I expected from Ghostbusters. I expected very strong female leads. I didn't expect the satirical edge, which is a critique of masculinity, which is what is portrayed and what people are responding to so negatively. And it's so interesting. It's such a great flip side of the feminist coin. And I fall into this trap sometimes in my own life. Is I'm kind of a dick, and sometimes I like to say things like "man up," and they'll be like, "Well." You're a feminist. Like, how can you say that when you're a feminist? And I'll be like, yeah, it's a double standard. Get used to it because I am, you know, like something's got to give in this. And it's a very heavy topic. And we can all kind of tiptoe around these topics to be appeasing to everyone. Or we can have a little bit of release and catharsis, which is what the character of Kevin was for me in this film. And it's a terrific performance. And to understand comedy, I think some of the best comedic actors are the smartest because you have to understand what you are parodying and then make it a parody. It's a lot of steps to get to. You can't just show up on screen and be handsome and charismatic, which Chris Hemsworth is. And he does it all the time. All the time. He's fucking Thor. And this was an opportunity for him to fully understand, like, silly dumbness and make it appealing. And he's not an evil character. He's not a bad guy. And the Ghostbusters still like him. He's still part of the team at the end. And they're like, they had to go save him. And they were like, we are going to go save Kevin. That is their mission. And they do it. And um, I like that. I, I like just having that. And I like knowing that someone as handsome and beautiful as Chris Hemsworth got it. I'm willing to bet that he had a great time with that role. I'm willing to bet that he loved playing against type. Would it be okay if I bring my cat to work sometimes? Uh, he has major anxiety problems. You know what? I, I would love to let your cat live here with you, but I have a pretty severe cat allergy. Oh, I don't have a cat. He's a dog. His name's my cat. Your, your dog's name is my cat? And Mike Hat. Your dog's name is Mike, last name Hat. Well, his full name is Michael Hat. So I think if this is your war to rage against Ghostbusters, this is not the hill to die on. And uh, what we will do is we will link an article in the episode notes written by a man. The Slate article. The Slate article. Awesome. Written by a great writer named Sam Adams. And it's something to the effect of Paul Feig's beautiful dumb men. And he talks about the trope. And he talks about the trope really specifically in Paul Feig movies. You have that really overtly in Bridesmaids with the John Hamm character. And I would also say pretty overtly in Spy, which starred Melissa McCarthy and Jason Statham as the kind of beautiful dumb man. And Jason Statham's performance in Spy, probably my favorite Jason Statham performance. It's fucking hilarious. And it's a trope. He likes to play with that. Paul Feig is an ally and a feminist, and he thinks women are funny, and he thinks women don't always get a fair shot, and he wants to change it up a bit. And I say, why not? Because I've seen a lot of portrayals of dumb women in the last year. Too many. So it's still happening. And if you don't see it, lucky fucking you. Oh, and there was someone who was really angry about Ivan Reitman's apparent being thrown out of the Ghostbusters territory. Look, he's still an executive producer on it. They probably just drove truckloads of money up to his house and were like, can you just put your name on it? Maybe do like one or two promo things. And he was like, yeah, all right. He's fine. No one needs to worry about Ivan Reitman. They really, really don't. He's wiping his tears with tons of cash, which is more than I can say for the faculty of horror. Yeah, let us have this. 
I feel like people say that Alien 3 doesn't really fit with the rest of the films, but I feel like it brings it all for... <laughs> and uh, that was how I interpreted it. That was how I interpreted it. That was how I interpreted it. Put in that quote of that French guy saying something that you can't understand. Wow, wow, wow. La baguette. La baguette. Wee <laughs> oui, wee, oui, I want the bag. What has two thumbs, <laughs> one eye, and can fuck like a rocket? <laughs> Not a rocket. I don't know what he says. <laughs> you have one parent, and that parent has to work, so you gotta find things to make yourself busy. So you've gotta find things to. No, okay, that was okay. Oh, sex, 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 sex. That's all I've got on Fright Night. Oh, that's hot. That's muy fuego. <laughs> All right, make your dang point. Okay. I'm salivating because very spicy chips. Yeah. Newly divorced Lucy moves with her sons to the small California town of Santa Clara, with Car where, sorry, Carla, it's Santa Carla. Carla. Yeah. Thank you. No problem. Newly divorced Lucy moves with her sons to the small California town of Santa Clara. Damn it, you did it. Clara. Again. Carla. Carla. Newly divorced Lucy moves with her sons to the small California town of Santa Carla, where Hukuki. Where. Where Hukuki. Oh, shit. I can't see you. Face inside is so. Yeah. Got my hair slicked back and those sunglasses on, baby. Now that you say that, it does... I can't tell you my love for you. No, no, you've said it. It's in the past. You said it, and I felt away. After the boys of summer, summer have gone. gone. I stole that from Kathleen Anna. I know you did. It's okay. Vous êtes trop belle pour un gars comme moi. Blah, 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 blah. That's right, and as with... I hate when I say that's right. Why do I always do that? I like knowing I'm right. Whether he dropped dead in the tundra or whether he survived to tell the tale and continue living as an objectified female man, it's fine with me. No. <laughs> Is it? No, it's not. No. Lucy does literally have to blow her way in. Do I want to say blow? No. <laughs> Wilma, you want some wine? You're being so good, Wilma. Do you want to get drunk? You are being very good. We're having a good day. Yesterday was a good day, too, but um, Wednesday wasn't such a good day, was it? You know, when we as the audience see Lucy hitting herself and causing <laughs> proved it to the most terrifying degree it could be. <laughs> and again, I say this as someone who is not religious, who was never raised in religion. I was, In fact, I was raised... No barking! That's all I have written down. Anything okay, else is going to be um... freestyle. And if you'd just like to toss us a couple of bucks, our pan is open for handling. That's no. And we'll handle your pan. Okay, this tastes very pumpkin spice to me. That's what she said. Yeah. Uh, wow. That was a good one. That was a good one. I nope. think that'd be a good one. I don't know. I don't know if it's as good if you can't see your face because you, uh, <laughs> you meant it. <laughs> Dude, I felt like I was looking you in the eye. That was for me. That was between you and me. Ooh, burn. Burn, Ted Danson. Fucking cinder block head. Shut up, Sam. Diane was too good for you. <laughs> he knows it. I don't like this one. Blech. You, you're drinking the Pilsner. I don't like it. I made a sin. <laughs> Try making that great again.
I hope you guys are enjoying these bloopers. I'm sure enjoying putting them together. I crack up every single year. It's nice knowing that everything wrong I say or do is saved in a file somewhere. Yep. But welcome back, everyone, to the Faculty of Horror Newlywed Best Friends game. We are here with our two contestants. Who are you, Missy? Andrea Subisati. And who are you, Missy? I'm Alex West. And we're going to see what kind of great friends you are. So, Andrea, you're up first. I'm going to ask you a question. You're going to give your answer. And then Alex is going to see what she said that she thought you would say. Right? Okay. Sounds good. Great. I'm so excited. So, Andrea, first question. What is your favorite chip flavor? Salt and vinegar. Oh my god, I said salt and vinegar. Oh my god, you get a point. I love me some salt and vinegar chips. I know you do. Good job. Second question, Andrea. What is your favorite movie theater snack? The answer is cheesy popcorn. And if you're at a cinema that has that Poptopia stand, I don't know if you guys have that in the U.S. They've kind of been popping up in Toronto where it's like, it's kind of a pre-boxed popcorn flavor you can get. And I kind of like popcorn a little bit stale. And so I really love this Poptopia cheesy popcorn. Is that what you put? I said popcorn. Okay. Can I get a point five on that? I'm going to give you a point. No, that's a full point. No, 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 Andrea. It's a point five. All right. If you insist. I insist. Okay. Because I had thought about that. I had thought about toppings, and I couldn't remember. All right. What scares you the most? Home invasion movies. Fuck! Come on. Is it spiders? Oh, spiders do scare me the most. I was keeping it in context of the horror film canon. I got that wrong. Oh, no point there. Sorry. Spiders do scare the living snot out of me. It's true. It's really funny. Which celebrity do you most resemble? Now, this is difficult one to just fucking answer. answer the question. I mean, nobody knows exactly what they look like. I'll just tell you what I tend to get. And over the years, I've gotten Marisa Tomei. I did not say that. No. I knew this one was going out on a ledge. And I've always thought this, and I've never said it to you. This might be controversial. What is it? Katy Perry. Well, It's slightly less obvious now because you've changed your hair a bit, so it's a bit lighter for the listeners out there. Andrea has like normally really dark hair and she's just done this kind of like green gray ombre which looks amazing but with the full black hair and the big eyes i definitely get some Katy perry fuck i'll take it (laughs) no points no points no no points on that one next question what is your most oft-repeated phrase or metaphor this one comes from a listener who is a friend of ours who recently brought up to me how often i say as regards I say as regards to start a point, I say as regards to finish a point, and it actually comes from an old sociology prof I had who said it all the time, and it used to annoy the shit out of me, but goddammit, did I adopt it. Okay, I said, that's right, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) Guilty as charged. If you could be any character in a horror movie, who would you be? I said Sarah from The Descent. Fuck me. Come on. I said Pinhead. Ooh. Well, maybe I'd be Pinhead. Well, no, you're Sarah from The Descent Well, no, I mean, you can change my mind. No, I, no, it's done. I like your answer. I like that you think that I'm that dark. Well, I feel like you would be very easily drunk on power. Yes. 
And yes, you would I take would. pleasure in like destroying people. Do I look like someone who cares what God thinks? Next question. If you could be married to a famous person, who would it be? Easy peasy Ryan Reynolds. Yes, I got it. Full points. That one is a bit too simple because I might maybe gush about my love oh, for Ryan do. Reynolds a little bit too much. But, you know, he's got such a lovely family and I see his lovely family and I don't want to bust up his lovely family. You know, like th- these are just fantasy questions and answers. I, it's, it's a very wholesome crush that I have. I don't want to make out with him or anything. I just want to hold his hand with my vagina. <laughs> All right. Next question. What is your worst habit with regard to recording the podcast? That's where I put that's right. Saying that's right. <laughs> yeah, you totally did. What, you answered it twice? <laughs> no. No, I, I kind of see now why you would say that there. I put trust issues with the soundboard. Ooh, that one cuts deep. Fucking soundboard. We sit down here and we test and we test and we test and it still gets fucked up. I feel like you should get a point for that, but, you no, know. No, it's fine. I don't want it. All right. Who would you choose to play you in a faculty of horror movie? I would choose, and again, this comes from someone else. This comes from somebody who got into my YouTube channel and pointed out my resemblance to Ash vs. Evil Dead's Dana DiLorenzo. I think she's feisty, and I think she's tough, and I think she'd play a great hellbat. Okay, I can see that. I put Janine Garofalo. Ah, that came from a listener, too. <laughs> Didn't it? Or did you come up with that? I think I might have just come up with it. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Because no Janine Garofalo, I love her. She is kind of known for playing very acerbic characters, but I've seen her play really, like, fun, warm characters with a bit of an edge to them. And, uh, oh, my God, if you guys haven't seen Andrea smile, holy shit, does it light up a room. Aww. But, it's, no, I got it wrong. It's yeah. fine. What is your most prized possession? My taxidermy bat. I said Dustin. Oh, is he mine? He is mine. I think he's yours, dude. He's mine. That's Andrea's partner. Man, he's going to be choked. He's going to hear this and he's going to look at that stuffed bat and be like, fuck you, stuffed bat. I I would not be surprised if that stuffed bat winds up in the trash heap. I got this stuffed bat. It's really hard to find taxidermy in Canada, or at least it was at the time. There's a lot of laws that prohibit. You can't buy taxidermy animals from Etsy or eBay from the state, so you have to find it here. And it was a festival of fear where it was the very last day. It was like the last hour where everybody's tearing down, and there was a taxidermy booth. So not only did I get a wicked-ass bat in a box, I got it for cheap because he didn't want to bring it back over the border. So sorry, Alex. God, it almost makes me want to change my next answer. But okay, next question. What do you think your co-host likes best about you? I think Alex knows how much I value what wonderful care she takes of our show and how she puts it first. I said my sense of humor. Oh, I love your sense of humor. (laughs) Fuck. Oh, God, this friendship is on the ropes, Man, this game sucks. (laughs) Your idea. What is your middle name? Rita. Fuck me. What? I said Stephanie. Weird. See, my middle name is my mother's name, and it's not a pretty name. It's not a name that I associate with young, attractive, vivacious women, and my mom's a fucking smoke show. A smoke show is a good thing? Yes. Great. Yes. I was thinking like something Italian. Initially, you thought like Maria, and then I was like, no, Stephanie. Okay, well, that's wrong. 
Where did you attend university? And this goes for your undergrad and master's degree. I got my undergrad at U of O, and I got my master's at Carleton University. I put U of O for both. Boo. Okay, I'm going to take a point five on that. Yeah, take. Well, yeah, okay. That should be a two-point question. Oddly enough, the reason I didn't do my master's at U of O, I would have really liked to, but Ottawa is a very French, politically correct, conservative town, and they have tremendous academic offerings in French, and it's a very valuable institution in Canada in that it acknowledges the French culture and stuff. And so they only offered master's sociology in French at U of O. Yeah. But U of O has this policy where you can submit your essays and dissertations in whatever language you want. So part of me was like, you know, proper sociology canon, a lot of it is French. So depending on what I wanted to do, I was actually tempted to take it in French and submit it in whatever language I wanted. But I switched. Wow. Yeah. Huh. So I like your answer. There's uh, germs of truth in there. Sweet or savory? Savory all the way. Fuck yes, got that right. Nice. Hot or cold? Hot, hot, hot. Damn it, I put cold. What? What do you mean? I don't know. I was thinking like cold beer. I do like cold beer, but I like a hot beach and a hot bath and... Okay, fine. We all like those things. No. Anyway. Okay. Next question. Penultimate question. New wave or punk? Punk. Okay, I got that wrong. What? I don't know. We've, like, talked about, like, our feelings a lot. I thought maybe New Wave. You know, I, I do love them both. It's not an either-or. Well, in this case, it is an either-or. It, it's, it's what do you love more. Okay. No, I... Okay. Last question. Metal or power ballad? Power ballad. What? Ah! No! Again, I love both, but I am a sucker for a power ballad. Oh, shit. You think I'm so much cooler than I am. Well, it's because you got all those damn tattoos. I forget what a fucking nerd you are. <laughs> all right, now we're turning the tables. I have the same questions for Alex, and I have my answers for her, so let's see how I measure up. What is your score? I got four. So that's three actual correct answers and two half answers. Jesus Christ, out of how many que- Never mind. I don't want to count anymore. Okay. I've been drinking. All right, let's okay. just move on. What is your favorite chip flavor, Alex? Regular. Regular what? Regular salty. Oh, I said regular kettle chips. Yeah, I can say kettle chips. I okay. love I love kettle chips. Oh, you do. Yeah. All right, so we're going to give me a full point I for that? I give you a full point. Right on. What is your favorite movie theater snack? You literally wrote this question because you fucking know. <laughs> it, fuck you. It's root beer and nachos. Oh, I forgot the root beer. <laughs> I'll give it to you. I'll um, give a full point for that. And the slight backstory, if anyone is interested, I was going to see a movie. It was a horror movie. And it was one of those ones that had been out for a while and I missed it. And everyone else had seen it. So I was like, I'm just going to go. And I like texted Andrea like, oh, I'm going to see blank. And she was like, oh, cool. Can't wait to hear what you think about it. And she was like, who are you going with? And I was like, ah, just myself. Go after work. Catch it. And she was like, oh, that's fun. And I was like, yeah, I get to do my favorite thing, which is I get to get exactly what I like at the movie theater, which is root beer and those stale, gross movie nachos. So gross. And I teased her so hard. It was just text messages of like, LOL, LOL, LOL. <laughs> and I was like, I don't care. This is amazing. It's not like that Satan's jizz, which is Dr. Pepper. To be completely fair, not long after that, I went to the movies and I was actually a bit hungry. Usually when I go to the movies, I just kind of want a snack and I'm just happy with my popcorn and my pop and whatever. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to pull an Alex and I'm going to get nachos. And they're gross. 
The chips are stale. The cheese is inorganic. It's total, total plastic. But damn, wasn't it satisfying. And I took a page out of your book that day. Aww. So I won't L-O-L-O-L-O-L-O-L anymore. It was actually nice on Christmas Day. I just hang out. I'm my parents' only child, so we just kind of hang out. We have very chill Christmas Day, and we decided to go see a movie kind of Christmas night in the evening just down the street from us. And we had a kind of like early nice Christmas lunch, and so we were all a bit peckish. And my mom got popcorn, and my dad was like, I think I get the nacho thing from my dad, because he always gets it when he can. And I was like eating out of like two hands. I had one hand in my mom's popcorn, the other hand dad's nachos and I was like I am living my best life <laughs> I am so attractive right now such a perfect culmination to who you are it's like I'm a little bit mom a little bit popcorn and I was like watching passengers and I was just like oh yes <laughs> covered in cheese somehow great what celebrity do you most resemble Zoe Deschanel oh, I said Jennifer Connor. oh okay see Thank you. Top two. That's really kind. Not really. I used to get like Jennifer Connelly when I was like 21. She's got nothing on you. No. It's mostly, it's it's in the bones, it's in her softness, it's it's in her beauty. It's something that uh, it's hard to explain. Oh, stop it. Okay. Well, okay. No, don't stop. I don't get a point though. I flatter you, I but I want to give a you a point. I, I really want to give you a point. I get it's it. my crippling self-esteem issues that didn't get you that point. Let's move on. I, but I say to Zoe Deschanel because I have bangs right now and I'm rocking them for about a year. When she's got bangs. I do look like Zoe Deschanel. All right. What is your most repeated phrase or metaphor? It's interesting. That's it. That's it? Yeah. Like, come on, you edit these podcasts. I you do know edit how much these podcasts. Well, it's interesting. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. It's kind of my de facto go-to on like, I don't want to come down on either side of it, but I want to explain my feelings about it, so I just say it's interesting. Your de facto go-to when you and I are talking about something that's irking you is that it's just got to be like Freddy Krueger and disappear in a cloud of pink glitter. I've heard you say that (sighs) at least a thousand times, and that's what I put down. I know you do. No points there. No points, but great insight. I'm not wrong. You're not wrong. I'm just not worthy of points. Okay. If you could be any character in a horror movie, who would you choose to be? Okay, I kind of did this as a two-parter, just in case how specific we were getting. I said either the final girl or Sydney Prescott. I said Sydney fucking Prescott. <gasps> yes, you did. Yes, I did. Yay! Ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding. If you could choose to be married to a famous person, ah, oh, my answer for this is stupid. Who would you pick? Paul Rudd. Oh, shit. That's so obvious. Who did you say? I suck. I said the sheriff in Stranger Things. No. I think... No? No. What, a hard no? Like, I'd fuck him, but no. Yeah, you would. I don't know why... That'd be like a one and done. You know why he came to mind is I was watching that Gilmore Girls reboot, (laughs) and he was in it. Did you spot him? No. Who was he? Uh, You know when she's trying to go on that hike? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's the first ranger who's like, you don't want to go today because it's raining. And then the second day, it's a ranger. That's him. And I was like, that guy was really hot. And I was like, where do I know him from? And then I remembered Sheriff, and I remembered us talking about him, and he was the only one who came to mind. But fucking Paul Rudd, god damn it. I, okay, I have loved Paul Rudd since. Forever. uh, Forever since I saw Clueless. And I still love Clueless. I think it's an amazing movie. It's probably my favorite romantic comedy. And it's because, I mean, spoiler alert for Clueless, but Paul Rudd's character and Alicia Silverstone's character, Cher, they get together in the end, and neither of them have to change for each other. They just see each other more fully 
And that was like panty sploosh for me. Okay, wait, we're not talking about a character. No, no, no. But and then and then Paul Rudd has gone on to be like really funny and charismatic and. It's true. He's I, pretty cool. I adore him. I actually looked not too long ago for a gif of like him when he's in the car in Clueless, and he looks over at Cher and he kind of does that like little laugh thing, and I was like, every part of me just melted. There you have it. Oh, damn it! What is your worst habit with regard to recording the podcast? Talking quietly. Oh yes. <laughs> That's not what I put. What'd you put? You know, that's such an OG, old faculty of horror thing. That's back when we had just one mic and before I really knew some editing tricks and I always had to augment you and turn me down. (laughs) I had put turning your pages while speaking and in retrospect, that's not really fair because maybe you don't know that that's a problem when I'm editing. You've never brought that up. When you're talking and all you can hear is... I have to cut that out, and it's hard, and maybe I didn't tell you, and maybe it's because I'm nice. You're very nice. Thank as a you. result, I get no points for that question. I'm going to go burn all my notebooks. Who would you choose to play yourself in a Faculty of Horror movie? Kristen Wiig. That's where I put Zoe Deschanel. I had her, and, you know, I don't know if Zoe and Dana would have the chemistry right, but I'm pretty sure Zoe and Janine definitely would. What about Kristen Wiig and Janine Garofalo? Oh, man. That would be the best movie ever. And I have to say, the Kristen Wiig thing came years ago, and it was a guy I liked, who, again, no longer into, but he mentioned to me, is like, oh, you really remind me of Kristen Wiig. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That's nice. He was like, yeah, and Bridesmaids. And I was like, I love Bridesmaids, and I love Kristen Wiig and Bridesmaids, but it was this kind of like, you're just the single lady who does things. But now I take it, and I own it, and I love her. I If there's a movie out there with Kristen Wiig, I will totally watch it. And so I carry it as a badge of pride now. Well, I think she'd make a great Alex West. Thank you. What is your most prized possession? My friends. Oh, for fuck's sakes. I said, and this is maybe a bit of a nod to our wonderful faculty of horror listeners, but one of our listeners, after our Aliens episode, sent her a print of... Their drawing of Ripley, and we had jokingly said in that episode, what would Ripley do? And so there's a banner on there that has WWRD, and it's up on your wall, and every time I'm in your room, I'm like, fuck, that is cool. That's your most prized possession of mine. It's it's something I truly treasure, and it was done by a tattoo artist based out of Vancouver or Victoria, definitely uh, British Columbia, Canada, and her name is Emily Sochet? I'm going to say, I'm doing this off the top of my head, Emily. I'm very sorry. But, you know, we are going to link her website in the show notes because she is extraordinarily talented. And I follow her on Instagram, and I'm just like, oh, my God. And um, she Instagrammed this photo and tagged me in it, and I was just like, oh, my God. Like, my heart exploded when I saw that. And and I asked if I could buy it off her, and uh, she very kindly sent it to me. And the next day, I went out and I got it framed, and it hangs very proudly on my wall. And whenever very prominently I, in your wall, yeah. very prominently. And whenever I don't feel great, or whenever I feel not totally myself, I look at it, and I'm not going to cry right now. But I look at it, and it makes me feel better. That's nice. See, that's even warmer and fuzzier than my friends. <laughs> no, I love my friends. All right, my friends are ride or die. What do you like best about me? I love your ambition. Aw, 
That's nice. I don't even mind not getting a point. <laughs> what did you say? I put that you know I've got your back. That's fucking true. Well, it's it's all encompassing. These questions suck. They're making us look like lousy friends. We're not. No, we're amazing. We friends. love each other too much. Is too clearly much. what's happening here. And that is evidenced in the next question. What's your middle name? Adele. Fuck. That's such a pretty middle name too. I was dying because I knew, I knew that. I knew it had come up in conversation before, and I was like, wow, what a pretty name. But I could not come up with it to the point that I even took to Twitter a couple of hours ago, and I was like, God, listeners, help me. And they came up with hilarious shit. Hilarious, but so wrong. The funniest answer I got on Twitter was danger, so that's one I point. Honestly, if I ever had a kid... I would give it the middle name Danger, just to, like, set it up for the rest of its life. Just to appease me and give me a point post <laughs> But Adele, for reference, was my great-grandmother's first name. Oh. And for basically 90% of my life, everyone, if it came up and would look at my name, would say, your middle name's Adele? Oh. And I was like, no, it's Adele. And then when Adele, the superstar singer, came up in the world, everyone was like, oh, Adele, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, that's how you fucking pronounce my middle name. And, fun fact, I, years ago, met a good friend of mine whose first name is Adele. I was at this party, and we were both there with our then-boyfriends, and they were really good friends, and I met her, and I was like, oh, thank, I'm terrible with names. And I was like, oh, thank God, I'll remember you because your name is Adele, like my middle name. And she turned out to be awesome, and we both subsequently broken up with those guys, and she and I have remained friends. That's nice. Yeah, shout out Adele. What university did you attend your undergrad and your MA? I did my undergrad at Concordia University in Montreal, and I did my master's degree at University of Toronto. Boo! I get what a half put? point. I put Concordia and McGill. I thought they were both uh, in Montreal. No, I actually used my master's degree as an excuse to move back to Toronto. Shit, I should have known that. Is that a half point? Yeah, I'd say that's a half point. Okay. I'm gaining on you. Fuck. Sweet or savory? Savory. Yep. Hot or cold? Cold. Cold, like your heart. Yeah, basically. God damn. New wave or punk? New wave. That's what I said. I would be actually distressed if you put anything other than yeah, new wave. Yeah, would have been weird. Metal or power ballad? Power ballad. Power ballad is correct. Are you and the better friend? One, two, three, four, five, six and a half. <gasps> wow. Wow. Damn. What was it? Four. I mean, we know each other's snacks. <laughs> <laughs> I can always tell what your moods and feelings are. Uh, those last four questions should have been a giveaway, but I threw you with hot and punk and power ballad. <laughs> <laughs> so really, it's your fault. Those were your but questions I'm not a friend. that you submitted to this. But it was your answers. <laughs> well, there you have it, guys. I'm the better friend. And as it's Andrea's year to choose the outro song, I look forward to the best power ballad ever. Well, before we get to the outro song, it's time for our homework for February. You guys thought it wasn't going to come. Here it is. It's totally coming. So for our next episode, we decided to go with something that's been on the back burner for a long time. We've been doing this podcast for four years, and we always knew that one day we would circle back to this film, and February is Women in Horror Month, and so we thought, what better time to finally tackle the oft-requested The Descent? Holy shit, yes. Neil Marshall's, I think, 2005 film, 
Very excited for it. This film comes up all the time. You guys have asked for it, and we've just been like, yeah, it's one of those that we really want to do it well. It's one of those that we kind of stigmatize within ourselves that when we're ready, when we're ready, we will tackle this great, glorious, beautiful monster. Yeah, and if I can impart to you one thing, dear listeners, that I learned in 2016, it was that... If you're waiting for someone to tell you that you're good enough or ready enough to do something, that's not going to come. I thought there would be someone to hand me golden keys to get to be like, you're an author now. Go forth and authoress throughout the lands. That shit doesn't happen. And thing I learned from 2016, which was a shitty fucking year, was that... You do what you will do under your own steam, and the only one that will stop you is you. So with that in mind, we're going to kick off our regularly scheduled program in 2017 with The Descent. It's so exciting. Yeah, it's going to be good. Yeah. And you are an authoress, and you are taking it over the land. And I'm very excited for you. (laughs) Both Andrea and I have some kind of announcements professionally, which will come eventually in due time. And, um, yeah, they're exciting. We're both excited. We're just kind of working away at them now. So you will know about them when we have more to say. But for all intents and purposes, the Faculty of Horror is still our baby. It is still happening. We love you guys. We love doing this. And, yeah, keep listening. Stay scared. All that good stuff. And if you don't have an Alex West to keep you going, you've got a Faculty of Horror. You've got us both. Stop making me fucking cry in this episode. Okay, let's wrap this up. Okay. Office hours are closed. Oh.